listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. Hello. 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 You're listening to the Breakfasters. <laughs> I swear to God, these introductions get weirder and weirder. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the 18th of February to the 22nd of February. It was a huge week. Mm. Uh, we were visited by Jane Carrow to talk about her new book, Accidental Feminists. It was a really fun chat. Mm. Jeff, that's when you jump in now. Don't you do have you? another one to do? No, I don't. No. Okay. Uh, we spoke to Claire, Claire G. Cohen. She's one of the people performing at the Wheeler Centre for their gala performance. No, what did we say? Long on the R, short on the A. Gala. 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 And I la. told you about the ghost that I met when I was in Tasmania. Yes, that was very spooky. The spooky mountain ghost. Um, we had Richard Vegas in, who is a magician. Spooky Richard Vegas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did And did some proper magic. Um, and he's doing a show at the Butterfly Club. Um, and then I told you um, the story about seeing a UFO in Coonabarabran. <laughs> the spooky Coonabarabran. Sure you did. Coonabarabran. Three. Triple. The Wheeler Centre Gala is on again next Thursday the 28th at the Athenaeum Theatre. The theme for this night of storytelling is Crush. One of the people who will be speaking will be Claire G. Coleman, author of the acclaimed novel Terra Nullis. She's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Thank you. This is an evening about crushes. What crush will you be talking about? Well, I think it's... Talking about exactly what my who my crush is for might be a spoiler for my story because that would be very uh-huh. unfun. But I will say it's embarrassing, oh. deeply embarrassing, and I'm attempting to turn that embarrassment into a bit of kind of dark humour about myself. Really, that's right. my life, mate. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how old were you when this when you had this crush? Really little, like eight years old. Excellent. Uh, but like all eight-year-old crushes, they never quite go away. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's quite a lineup: Alison Evans, Kate Holden, Megan Washington, Sinead Stubbins, Lawrence Lung, Claire Hooper, John Fain, Fastina Agola and George Megalodinus. It's a pretty diverse lineup. Have you chatted with any of the others? Do you got any sense of what kind of crushes they're going to be talking about? No, I have, I have no idea. So I, get, I look forward to being um, surprised and excited by it myself. Oh. Um, you were travelling around Australia in a caravan when you decided decided to write Terra Nullis, which is a fantastic um, kind of um, story about the book. Was there a particular moment that led you to decide that this was a book you had to write? Well, yeah, there was. It's um, the moment when I was in the little museum and cultural centre in the town where my grandfather was born and having very little family history in my own personal experience, I walked in there and realised that they actually had an entire section of their museum dedicated to my family, which was weird. And then after I spoke to them about that, they invited me to a... (coughs) Excuse me. They invited me to a a launch for a memorial to a massacre that happened on my my grandfather's country, like 15 kilometres out of town, where I would have had... Well, my, my great grandmother would have had relatives who died there. So I was at that, and then when I went to that that opening for the memorial, the story just came to me. But I was already travelling around Australia, so I wasn't exactly going to stop travelling to write this novel. So I just kept going. Wow! Uh, you were part of the State Library of Queensland's Black and Right program. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that and um, and how it worked for you. Well, the the project was um, I was advised to enter it by 
um, the lovely people at Mugabala Books up in Broome because I was writing my novel as I travelled and I met them and they said, why don't you enter this thing? So I did. And when I won it, it was actually amazing because I, I got um, editing help and I got to spend time working with Aboriginal editors who were also learning the process of editing as well at the same time. And, of course, I got to edit my novel with them and then I got a publishing contract. So it's possible without winning that prize I might not have actually ever been published. So it's very important. I've heard Terra Nullius described as allegorical, post-apocalyptic, speculative fiction. How would you describe it? What other books would you place on the shelves alongside? Well, I, I think I, I would probably... The first book I put alongside would be War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. Because um, War of the Worlds is allegorical, post-apocalyptic fiction, which was influenced by the invasion of Tasmania. So, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah. He said in one of the earlier... Early, um, introductions to the book that he was trying to explain to a friend how um, why Tasmania was in, invaded so easily saying that it's not the idea that the Tasmanians were inferior that's why they got wiped out but the British had better guns or they had yeah. guns at all and he's trying to explain this to a friend who said imagine if a spaceship landed in the middle of Horschel Common which is the theme of War of the World so War of the World was influenced by Australia so I put that right next door to, to Terminal yes definitely Oh, so tell us about the world in which it's set then, if it's a sort of inversion of the of, of the H.G. Wells story. Um, give us a little bit of an idea of um, what happens in the book for those who haven't read it. Well, I, I, I don't want to... Um, there's, there's obviously, if I talk too much about what happened in the book, that's a nasty spoilers and might... <laughs> <ruin the book. laughs> spoilers all the way today. Spoilers all the way today. No, it's, um, it's, it was influenced by my... Um, my self-discovery, this concept that, um, which I've spoken about many times, which is Aboriginal history is already a dystopian novel. Mm. It is already an apocalyptic then dystopian novel. It's an apocalypse followed by a dystopia. And so if you think about it that way, the idea of, of stretching um, Aboriginal history into dy the dystopian sphere is actually, um, it's automatic and effortless. When you, when you think of it as, mm. think of Australia as some of that where a powerful enemy appeared and wiped everyone out and then the rest of the people were virtually and well, enslaved for a long time and then now we still don't have full rights for the rest of Australia. That's, it, it's an automatic thing. You don't even have to think too hard about putting Aboriginal history into a dystopia. So, uh, When you were travelling around and cruising around in your caravan, how, how long were you doing that for and were there any benefits in, in cruising around in your caravan and riding at the same time? Well, yeah, there were. Um, firstly, cruising around the caravan means that um, if you, you, it's less you're less likely to be bothered by anyone when you're trying to ride. That's an important thing. And also, I didn't have to. I, I believe that if someone's a writer and they're stuck in their in their head and they can't get into the story properly, going somewhere else helps. Mm. Like just even going down the street to a cafe or stepping outside or going for a walk. Well, I was going somewhere else every day. Mm. So that kind of helped the story tick over. And it's been pointed out to me afterwards, because I, I had no idea this had happened, that Terranullius of the... There's um, multiple interwoven storylines, but most of those storylines, the characters are travelling. Oh. And it hadn't occurred to me mm. that everyone was on the run and I was travelling at the time. Because someone else pointed that out in an in radio interview and I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> How, well, how's it been sitting still to write from from here on in? Well, it's fun. Well, my um, second novel, which is out later this year, as it happens, 
Um, that was also written, that was half written travelling and half right. sitting still. My third novel was entirely sitting still, but that's okay because my third novel, which I'm still, still a work in progress, is kind of a bit more of a, a closed-in paranoid sort of story. So it's, you need it's, to be sitting still. You need there. to be sitting still for that. <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, an interview I, I, um, I heard with Alice Cooper's producer who when they wanted to do one of his songs where they want him to feel um, the song's about being closed in paranoid and stuck, they actually put him surrounded by chairs on the ground in the studio and basically wouldn't let him move until he finished oh. recording it, so he felt really scared. Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, poor Alice Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> Were you someone who grew up reading science fiction? Was that like an early childhood crush of yours? I did really, um, grow up reading science fiction. I, I think I can honestly say that I did not read anything other than science fiction for most of my life. And I still rarely read anything other than science fiction if given a choice. I read a bit more kind of literary fiction now. and I don't actually read much of what people call general fiction, which is I don't even know what that means. I've, I'm, not a fan, I'm actually known for being not a fan of the divisions of, within bookshops. You know, you've got general fiction, science fiction, literary fiction. They're just books. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> just books. <laughs> books are books. Well, what is it about sci-fi that, that appealed to you, though, as a kid? Um, well, it's the, um, the fact that in science fiction, speculative fiction, fantasy, um, the author can twist the world. Rather than having to twist their story into the world, they can twist the world around their story, mm. which means that people think of, um, of science fiction or speculative fiction as not being about story, but it's entirely about story because in... I actually know people who've... I've, I've watched online and somebody said to him, and I'm a, I'm a fan of a certain couple of science fiction but to one of them, someone said, I tried reading some, um, some literary fiction the other day. They said, do those things even have plots? Literary <laughs> 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 fiction. Which, because the science... To um, genre fiction people, story and plot is everything. And, and I enjoyed that. And I've always enjoyed that. Hmm. Okay, the Wheeler Centre Gala is on this uh, sorry Thursday the twenty eighth at the Athenaeum Theatre. Huge lineup of speakers. Probably best if you jump on the Wheeler Centre website to see them all. One of those people speaking will be Claire G. Coleman, with whom we've just been talking. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. No Smoke, No Mirrors is the name of a performance happening at the Butterfly Club between the 25th of February and the 2nd of March. The man behind it is Richard Vegas. He's a magician, illusionist and a mentalist and he's joining us in the studio now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for coming in. Now, I just called you a magician, illusionist and a mentalist. What's the difference between those things? Oh, a lot and not a, not much. <laughs> like, I'm really, honestly... Um, uh, it, magicians will make the distinction um, for, for for a general audience member. They won't make much of a, of a difference. They won't know much of a difference between the three because they'll have seen all of those different types of things mm. melded into different tricks and pre- presentations. So, yeah. so what distinguishes the kind of magic you do from the other kind of magic that we might see? Uh, okay, so I am very interested in the mentalism side of magic, but I what um, and what the show that No Smoke. No Mirrors is really about is um, is the things that we do 
that we program ourselves to do. So how the magic happens in our minds in everyday um, situations. So, for instance, you, Geraldine, you might have a lucky number that you, yep. you know, that you have, and ev- most everybody has. And then that lucky number is, is associated to something in their life, in your life, in my life. I've got, I've got a couple of lucky numbers, you know, and we attribute value to those things. Um, and those things then, they crop up uh, in our life. Now you might think, oh, that's just, um, and uh, you know, Jung came up with the idea of synchronicity and all this kind of stuff. And, and those things are just meaningful coincidences, happenstance. But the thing is, we actually play them out in our lives. And that's the thing that fascinates me. And that's the thing I'm exploring in No Smoke, No Mirrors. You're a graduate of NIDA. How did you move from acting to magic? Very easily. (laughs) (laughs) Was there always something you wanted to do to be be a magician? Uh, No, not at all. I was just just a straight actor. That's all I wanted to do. And I I pushed away from being a magician for a very long time. Uh, My partner, Julia Madotti, actually... Uh, dragged me kicking and screaming into magic. She was a magician before me, and when we w- we got together, we we actually met at a at an acting school, and um, she would drag me along to her performances at um, at, at nightclubs and stuff. And I'd be sitting in these dirty, seedy back rooms, and <laughs> and just going, "Well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well get paid for it as well." <laughs> <laughs> well, will you watch another magician going? Oh, I can I can do better than that. You, you sometimes, but other times you look at them and you just go, that's amazing. You know, so mm. there are times where you look at things and go, mm, that was a bit dodgy, that was a bit rough, uh, I could probably do better, you know. And there are other times you look at stuff and you go, I have no idea how he did that, that's amazing. Mm. You know? Do you think your acting skills have helped you as a oh, magician? Of course. There's, yeah. a, there's a very, um, there's a famous quote from uh, Jean, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, who was the sort of the father of, said, said to be the father of um, modern magic. He's the one who first took magic to the stage. In a, in a dinner suit and uh, he, his quote uh, and this is a bit of a paraphrase but his quote is something to the effect of a magician is merely an actor playing the part of a magician oh, uh, I like it a good line yeah, yeah. Uh, and so how, how, how do you develop your tricks as a magician do you sit down and look what other people do and try and think of how it's done or do you, do you work it out from scratch or what, what's the process uh, look it's there's no one process um, sometimes you get inspiration from other other performers and as magicians I think uh, a lot of us would would uh, comfortably say that we stand on the shoulders of giants there are there are secret and this is why the, the whole thing about exposing secrets in magic is something that's really really frowned upon by by serious magicians is because it's not our right to give away secrets that we haven't made up no. you know what I mean it's like if it's my if it's my intellectual property then it's my right to give it away but if I'm using a principle that he has been handed down through we're talking centuries then what right is it of mine to expose that and and um so that's the sort of touchy sort of thing on, on magic and and I think that's that's where I I get you know, pissed off about it too. You kind of go, well, why do you... You don't have the right to do that. That's not yours. Is yeah. it kind of an, an original trick? You know, like one one magic trick that is the oldest of all? There is, I think... Uh, yeah, look, there's... there's um. The, 
supposedly there was a there was a magician in Egypt who tore the head off a, a chicken and then and then reattached it. Ah, oh, that old oh. that old thing. <laughs> that old trick. <laughs> and and then of course there's the there's the cups and balls routine, which is yeah. which is which everyone would know because it, it is a it's a classic of magic and and that's sort of um, something that's been throughout lots of cultures, and um, has been around for for a couple of uh, millennia, you know. Um, now we did hear, we did talk with you um, before you came on air that some possibility. Just wants you to do some yeah, magic. Do some magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we can we do that. Do. Okay, yeah. all right. Now okay. we do. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. And now this is really, really difficult, of course, because doing magic on 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 radio yes. is not going to mm. be the most, the greatest medium. It's it's a, it's, a, it it's is never a, bothered it, us before. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. So let's try something with, with Geraldine. You, Geraldine. Yep. And actually, we'll try something with you too, Jeff. Uh, I tell you, no, no. Okay. We'll ta- I hate using cards because people think that you know it's like um, so I won't they're use cards. They're fake okay. cards. Well, no, they're not fake, oh. but but they're real cards. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought that that's what people might think. I oh, know, but they just think that there's sleight of hand involved. You know, ah. so and, and quite often there is. But um, but I want to try something here. So okay. I tell you what, I've got three dice you here. You do. Okay, yes. and I actually have a dice cup. Oh yep, Yahtzee. <laughs> yep. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to. Take the dice, place yep. them in the dice cup. I want you to shake it up and then plonk it down onto the table and don't look at it as yet. All right. Shake and shake. So here we go. And, okay, so they are now underneath the cup. We don't yep. know what they are. No. Okay. Not yet. Now, did you... Um, do you have... What I asked you before, do you have a, a, a lucky, a lucky number? number? Yes. Okay, and what is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's seven. Seven? Yep. Okay. Nice. Any reason why seven? What is the seven? Is it, is it does it is it related to a birthday? Yep. Yes, it is. Okay. So a lot of people do that. You know, like I mean, for me, same. Mm. I have a lucky number, eighteen, my birth date. It's like why, why, why? But it just is. Mm. We do that. So we play these things out. Now it'd be really interesting if the numbers there amounted to seven, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty good. It'd be pretty good. And it, so let's have a look. Let's see if if they did. She's removing the cup. And what have we got? No four, to, to, that's eight. actually eight, so it's one off. Okay. Now, people would say, oh, wow, but that's actually pretty crap, really. So let's... <laughs> <laughs> So oh, take them I again. Don't mean, eight's my lucky number. <laughs> actually, oh, there we go. <laughs> so take them again and shake it up. Shake it up one more time. We'll keep doing this till I get seven. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, now there's three different um, coloured dice under there, yes? Yes. Do black, you... red and white? Yes, choose one. Oh, okay. Um, I'd choose the black one. Choose the black one. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the number we chose before was... Uh, the number we came up with before was eight. Eight, yeah. And your lucky number is seven. You're taking a, a, a one dice away. Okay, so let's just take the number that comes up on that away from your the number eight that came up before. All okay, right. so we're looking at the black one. Take the... Okay, okay, so one away from eight equals seven. Yep. The black is a one. It's got oh. the one. Oh! Yeah. We got to seven. So yep. what I'm saying is, yes, I know that may be manufactured by me, but what I'm saying is these numbers actually come up in our lives but via certain oh. actions that we do because we are looking for them. So, you know, like when people say, I saw 11-11 yesterday, I saw 11-11 today. Why? Because we're looking for them. Now, mm-hmm. I've manufactured this idea, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've manufactured this idea that because we've got a number seven. Now, will you uh, take the one dice there, the mm-hmm. black one that you've chosen, will you shake that up one more time? It would be so good if 
I roll this and it was a seven. Yeah, absolutely. One, <laughs> one dice and it turns out to be a seven. Okay, five. And can you pick a, another one of the dice that's there? Oh, the, one of one of the red one or the white one? Oh, the red one. Sorry. Okay, so we'll yeah. take that one away. All right. Yeah. So what number have we got now? Uh, actually, no. You sorry, you chose the red one. We'll take that one away. Yeah. Okay. So what's that equal? Six. Okay. If you'd chosen the other one, it would have equaled seven. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. We equal six. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, what I want you to do is, can you pick one of these books here? Uh, the top one. Top one. Take the top one. Excellent. Take that. It's beautiful leather bound book. Leather bound book. Uh, okay. Now, can you then uh, let's we're using the number that we've come up with here. Let's make this really quick. That equals six. Okay. So can you? Uh, you don't have to go to page six. Don't go to page six. Okay. What I want you to do is, I think of the uh, the letter that corresponds to that in the alphabet. So go through the alphabet and come up with the letter whatever. G F A B C D E F. Oh, F. F. Okay. So can you go to any page you like on that book? Yep. And um, have a look and find a long word, something not, not simple, not for or from, something that's over 9, 10, 11, 12 letters, so that there's no way that I could know what it was. And if I was to try and guess it and get it out of your head, that it would be difficult. So look on any page in that book and find a word that starts with F. Oh, oh damn it. Um, okay. Well, F's a hard <laughs> letter, isn't it? F. Well... <laughs> I'm well, I'm asking for a long word. Oh, a long word, yeah. So, I have to know, find... Not a swear word. Not a swear <laughs> word. Uh, and you take your time. Book, can I... Oh, okay. Yeah, any page, any page. Okay, I got it. You've got one? Yeah. Oh. A long word? Yeah. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... No, no, ten, don't tell me how many, but, but it's over oh, ten. Right. Okay, Okay, that's fine, that's right. Yeah. Yep, so a long word. Okay, so yep. close the book. Now, you know what that word is. No one else here knows what that no. word is, correct? No, there's no way anyone here could know. No one else, and I know we're short for time here. That's so. all right, we can go right up to the news because this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so before we came in here, I asked who wanted to choose a... Uh, who wanted to hold on to an, a yellow envelope. Yes. Oh, yes. And it was Sealed you, envelope. Yes. Right. And um, it's been sealed, and on the front of it, it says what? It says, do not open until instructed. And now I'm instructing you to open it. Now, yes. before we do this, okay. just before we do it, hang on, hang on. <laughs> before we do this, you had a choice of, of, of these two books here. You yes. chose that one. Yep. Open the, open, now open the, uh, the yellow envelope. So okay. now Geraldine is about to open the sealed envelope. It's been sealed. This is all happening, by the way. This isn't just sound effects. <laughs> yeah. This is a real deal. Okay. And in there is what? It's the cover of the book. The cover of the book you chose, and inside there is what? A piece of paper. A piece and of paper. It's folded up into four. Now, if you can, now before you open that up, can you tell us what was the word that you chose out of that book? Firecracker. Right. Quite often, people choose things that are reflective of their personalities. Ah. Oh. All right. So, why don't you open up that piece of paper and why don't you read on it what is it written? It says firecracker. That's amazing. <laughs> Wow! I mm, that's I mean, I feel amazing. like if people had seen here, they they could have it would have been really obvious. There is no possible way you could have known what that was. That you is know, astonishing. Jez was handed that envelope when you walked into the room. Mm. Unless unless she's in on it. Well, we've never <laughs> met before, have we? <laughs> I wouldn't spoil it. No, I'm just impressed. astonishing. Yeah, that's um, so cool. I love it. Love it. Wow. Okay, the show is called <laughs> <laughs> no, Thanks, guys. no Smoke, No Mirrors. It's on at the Butterfly Club. Starts on the 25th of February, runs until the 2nd of March at 8.30pm. Uh, we've been talking to Richard Vegas. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Three, triple R. Sometimes.
sometimes in life it's a bit tricky to know if you've been rude or not and sometimes, you know, it's hard to hold back on saying something or doing something, yeah? Yeah. Yes. So I think... Jeff never times, knows if he's been rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we should reward ourselves for the times that we don't... when we aren't rude and do hold back. Do you know what I mean? Sure. For example, here's a... Here's what I'm getting. The other night I was at a gig. Um, it was a really fun gig, um, and most a lot of new people on, good mix of new and old and stuff. Uh, and there was a guy that was on that I'd I'd never seen before, and he was introduced as um, someone that's quite new. And then, but when they were up there, I'm like, oh, you've done you've done this before. Like you're you've, you know, you know what, what you're doing. doing. And because it was just very funny, and I. He has been. He hasn't done many gigs, uh, but he was doing this great bit about um, whales uh, beaching themselves, and it was full of incorrect information in in there about in, incorrect As information about, about whales. Yeah, factually incorrect. Oh. Oh. But like just saying that. Um, I don't want to give any of the jokes or I don't want to ruin his material, but basically he was just – stuff that he was saying about it, I'm sitting there going, that's not – You say, as a whale fan, you knew, yes. knew that that's not correct. <laughs> you didn't I, heckle him with facts, did you? No. Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> but I did – Well, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> Incorrect. I, but I, I've had moments of like, should I – maybe if I sit – like I had not heckled him at the time, but I sat there and processed my thoughts of going, maybe I should tell him that that's actually that doesn't really happen. Oh. That you know sort of they like, don't just you know when a whale beaches, I'm like I'm just like, the whale, they actually get crushed to death. Like it's not a peaceful way for them to go. It's actually quite. And he was talking about how it's you know quite probably quite peaceful for them and stuff. And I was like, should I have a chat to him afterwards oh. and say actually it doesn't? And then I thought no. No, Geraldine, this is the time that you just sit there and be quiet and let don't let facts get in the way of a good joke. Very good. Yes. That, that is, See? That is excellent. That's maturity. Yeah, that is maturity. So that I is think maturity. it would come across as a <laughs> retrospective heckle. <laughs> yes, but I've, but I've done it so many times. Like I've yeah. called people, you know, I've, you know. But I understand the need. Like I often, you feel the need. It's like some of our dear listeners when they text us and tell us that maybe something that we've said is slightly factually incorrect mm. you know i understand the feeling you know you feel compelled to correct someone yes. when you know that something might be a little bit different but it helps to take that take that moment to go hmm just is this the time and place yes yeah. is to, it necessary to put is yourself in the other person's shoes you're not yeah. compelled to listen when other people correct you because it's happened to me <laughs> like i was um i was telling I had I used to have this joke about um, you know I'd sing the f- football songs, and then um, I talk about the Essendon song how it goes. Um, See the bombers fly up up to win the premier premiership flag. Yeah, and then it's like, well, why why is it flag? Because what do you win when you win the premiership? It, the cup. It's Trophy, a cup, yeah. and what rhymes with up? Cup does. Cup. cup. So why why have flag? And then That's someone, a good yeah, but someone in an audience the one, premiership cup. cup, yeah, but someone in an audience one night was like, actually they do win a they do win a flag. Oh yeah, because like, you do get a flag that gets raised. Yeah, but it still doesn't rhyme with. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the more obvious thing with there would be. Yeah. 
it's Cup. still like yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Thanks for so you were, it yeah. out. <laughs> you, were, you didn't say that. Oh, that was very helpful. Then I'll. I'll you know, remember when um, uh, Danny was doing the banners? There was a comic that used to write the banners for the Bulldogs. Yeah. And when they played Essendon, he asked, he said, can I use that joke for the banner? And I'm like, absolutely. And then it so – and he, you know – tagged me in it when he put the photo up online and then he was like you know this is written by and there's so many people just on there going oh well actually it is a f-. i'm like yes we know but it's a joke, oh, joke. <laughs> yeah. oh well they are very draining people i i had a um a similar etiquette problem i was doing an event oh this is like years ago i was doing an event in ballarat mm. And um, afterwards, I was going to get the train home, and I had it all worked out. You know, like I was get, I had like my little coffee that I was bringing along, and I had my book, and I love train rides. It's yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. And you listen to your music yeah. and just sit down. But then, meditation. Yeah, mm. totally. It's a bit of Jeff time. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff time. <laughs> but then, then I realised that one of the people from the festival was at the station too and she was there and she was getting on the same train and the same carriage as I was. And you were sitting next to each well, other. Well, one of these is like I sort of knew her but I didn't really know her that well. Yeah, it's tricky. It, Do you know her well enough to sit next to her for a whole hour or just say hello and have that awkward <laughs> moment of I'm going to sit over here? Like if it was someone I knew well, like with you guys, I'd just put my headphones on and yes, just ignore yeah. you. Yes, yeah. you know. It's what we do to each other. <laughs> when the mics go off, we spin around our seats and stare you, at the wall. But you can't do it if it's someone that you don't know very well. You feel compelled that maybe you have to make small talk and then like five minutes and you think, I've got nothing. i got nothing. And also you just want to put your headphones on. Yeah, I think you can just say, I think what I do is over-explain things to people. So if you're my friend, you would know this. So if something makes me awkward, I will say, oh, so... This is the moment where I'm going to put my headphones in. So no offense, it's just you know, you know, or you know, you, you just do talk. Do that. And yeah, also, it's a flag and, and not a cup. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but I mean, I overexplain the awkwardness yes. of the not. The, yeah, yes. And of how, the, of how does the, that work? It's terrible. It, it always end up in this kind of yeah. endless spiral of words. I just kind of look at you and go, "It's okay, mate. You can make that phone call. I'm going to leave." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's. <laughs> I, <laughs> But surely isn't isn't there a point where both of you are just kind of staring at the window or and you something? Just accept and you, that moment. Yeah, and you go, go, then you get okay. to well, yes, because because of quite likely the other person is in exactly the same situation. But, yeah. but yeah, yes, that's very on, true. On that occasion, I just felt about about halfway there that we were both sort of locked into this desperate thing where neither of us had anything to say. But honestly, I've done. I so <laughs> I ran into a guy that I know peripherally in my life at mm. a cafe one morning when I was really hungover and I'd gone there by myself to have breakfast by myself mm. and we started I, I ran into him he was sitting at a table and he started talking I started talking and I ordered go. my food and then as I turned around and talked to him he kind of did that uh, waving his arms like oh should you sit here and I went oh waving my arms <laughs> and then I thought we we're just kind of waving our arms at each other and then I sat down with him and it was oh, honestly... Mate. He was just being nice. I know. He didn't want you to sit down at all, mate. I know. Just being polite. I didn't Do want to sit down. Sit? He didn't want me to sit down. Oh, and there you and are. And then there we are, stuck with each other. I can't believe it. And was he eating oh. as well? You would have drove you insane. He was... He was <laughs> 
he was, he was close to the end of his meal, but I think <clears> that my sitting down kind of compelled him to just speed it up and go. Oh, I'm gonna get, even I'm worse gonna, for you. I'm going to get out. Oh, no. Faster and louder. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what's... <laughs> what <the> hell? <laughs> oh, my God. Once... This is the bad place. <laughs> I was... Uh... I was on a flight and and flight with um, doing some flying somewhere for some gigs. I was sitting next to some of the other uh, comics, and I sat down and you know as we were taking off, having a, a brief chat, you know, blah 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 about stuff. And I went, okay, cool. And I had the headphones in the jack ready to go. I was holding on to my headphones, and then I went, okay, nodded, and then went put the headphones in my ears because there was a you know conversation yeah, nice finished. Pause. Yeah, I went, okay, put the headphones in, and then she started talking again and I, I oh, took them out so close <laughs> and then and then she oh. and then there was a pause and I went okay type headphones are in that's just Look at not me. knowing social cues oh mate do you know I ended up 12 times oh my god 12 times I tried to put my headphones in oh and did not pick up on it at all so I just got to the point and was like Okay, clearly this is not happening. This flight is nearly over. I'm just going to wrap up these headphones. Oh. Why did you just say oh I was just so oh mate there couldn't was couldn't do it. 12 times <laughs> of, like going I'm putting oh. headphones my headphones are on oh sorry you still and I'd, I'd take them out and go oh, oh sorry sorry I missed that I don't oh. think that's social awkwardness I think this person is deliberately torturing <laughs> <laughs> 3 triple R Accidental Feminist is a new book out just uh, via Melbourne University Publishing. Its author is the writer and broadcaster, Jane Carrow. She's joining us in the studio now. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you for having me. You say in the acknowledgements that you were commissioned for this book after an article you wrote really resonated with your readers. What was that article and what did it argue? Uh, it was called uh, Women Over 50, A Tale of Two Fates. It uh, ran on ABC Online and uh, it was really talking about um, the two different trajectories that my generation of women have really found themselves on after the revolution, I suppose, in women's roles that happened um, in the 60s. And on one level, uh, for one group, it's been absolutely fantastic because they have had richer, more varied, more interesting, certainly more stressful, but, you know, swings and roundabouts, but by and large, more interesting lives than any generation of women before them because they've had vastly more choices because of the pill, because of the feminist movement, because of all those kinds of things. And they're the, my generation is the first generation where the whole cohort of women has worked for their own money for most of their lives. That is revolutionary prior mm. to that. Sure, working class women and <clears throat> women who found themselves in a, a difficult financial situation have always worked. But it was pitied you know, uh, that was a sort of failure of not being able to get a decent husband who could support you attitude towards women's work um, or it was a class definer. Mm. Whereas for my generation, it was actually something that was aspired to. You know, we were supposed to go out there and have a career and use our educations and do all those kinds of things. And for some women, that's worked out really, really well. And you can see it in the explosion of things like writers' festivals and book clubs and yoga and Pilates. <laughs> and, you know, um, these women have got money and at last they've got time and, you know, they're really starting to enjoy themselves. But what horrified me and really got me started on this whole journey was hearing this awful... Um, <clears throat> pardon me, fact, 
that women over 55 are the fastest growing group amongst the homeless. So for some women of my generation, this revolution has not turned out very well at all. And so I wrote an article looking at why that might be, why those two different fates, what what has happened, what went wrong, what went right. And then uh, Louise Adler read it and uh, she rang me out of the blue and said, that's a book, I want you to write it and here I am. Uh, you say somewhere in the book that women over 50 are the generation that have experienced the greatest change in women's lives ever in human history. That's a striking statement. You've mm. told us a little bit about that, but give us some more details about what that change, is, change involved. Well, I think it was like all major revolutionary changes, it was driven by technology. And so in 1960, the pill became available generally on prescription. I'm going to have to clear my throat. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no worries. <coughs> clear away. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I said no to a glass of water. That was a real error. Um, anyway, so uh, it was 1960 and basically what the pill did was that it gave women, it unshackled women, if you like, from their reproductive systems. Yes, there was contraception prior to 1960 in the pill, but, for example, I am a torn condom. So it, it wasn't particularly <laughs> effective, you know. Whereas the pill was... Um, a much more effective form of contraception and basically that enabled women to make choices about their lives. They could decide when to have children, whether to have children, how many to have, how to space them and therefore they were able to also enter the public sphere. Um, it was hard, it was a juggle but it was doable and that's basically what changed everything. Uh, when you talk to women of your generation, not one of them wanted to be like their mothers. <laughs> Not the ones in the book anyway. Yeah. Uh, but as someone who's... Your mother went back to school and went to university at the same time that you were there. That must Yay. have been fun. Um, <laughs> like, did you feel the same way? And are you conscious of the um, the role model that you are for your daughters? I didn't feel the same way. Um, I had a very close relationship with my mother and she was um, a very uh, forthright and uh, straightforward person. She still is. She's 87 and still going gangbusters. And she always said to me and my sisters, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Don't you know, leave school too early and, you know, go and work as a secretary and get married and have four children. Just don't do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, go and make something of yourself. You Get an education, have some meaningful work. So whilst I didn't want to live the life she lived, I did want to be like her because of that ability to see her life and be honest about it. And I hope very much that I'm a similar kind of role model for my own daughters in that, you know, I try to tell the truth. And mm. I think that that's one of the greatest gifts a parent can give a child, that they are honest about themselves and about their life and about what goes on. And I think with parenting still, and particularly the parenting of girls, we still often tell them pretty falsehoods, one of which is you can do anything you like. Mm -hmm. That is a pretty falsehood. I think that uh, when you were talking about, you know, your mother's generation and then your generation in this book, I couldn't help but think that despite all of this change, I can still see women of my generation experiencing similar problems to those two or three generations ago, whether it be... Um, 
inability in the weight of care in the house, looking after children. I have a friend recently separated who has two young children but is kind of shackled to a low-paying job because it has to work around the hours in which she can yep. look after the kids and pick the children up. So what do you think is getting in the way of this kind of this revolutionary change kind of having substantive effect for... And, and yet it feels like <laughs> yes. it's sort of, you know, stymied. Yeah. <clears throat> I think what's getting in the way is a number of things. One of the first is this ingrained training and messaging that's gone on for millennia probably that women are the nurturers and the carers and that they should put other people's needs ahead of their own and that that defines femininity and that's what a good woman does. And I think unfortunately <clears throat> the reward for that in the long run can be really awful as we're seeing amongst this generation of older women for whom things haven't worked out um, and also I think you know if you want to see why a behaviour or a particular system persists follow the benefit and I think hobbling half the population works for the other half. Now I'm not saying all men are deliberately doing it but I'm saying it must benefit somebody mm -hmm. for it to continue even if it's not done consciously and you know it does make life easier for a lot of men if their wives take the lion's share of the caring responsibilities. And unfortunately, until that changes, until we start to distribute the work that adults need to do, which includes paid work, caring work and domestic work, then women will continue to struggle and far too many of them in their old age will end up living in poverty and housing stress and real distress because that, unfortunately, is the current reward you get for putting other people's needs first. You also talk about the invisibility of women over the age of, say, 50, which I found quite terrifying because, for me, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s and, and looking forward at, at the situations that you describe in the book, whether it be invisibility to young men uh, in, you know, like through attractiveness or whether it be invisibility um, to men your own age or men older than you in terms of your ideas at a, in a conversation at a dinner table. Uh, you know, it's quite terrifying that that is the future that is kind of set out for us. What do you think it takes to change that invisibility? Unfortunately, it's not just invisibility to men. Yeah, well, a yeah, lot of young yeah. women don't see older women either. And you could see it in the way I think very clearly that Hillary Clinton was talked about, often, I'm afraid, by Bernie Sanders supporters, which mm. is really interesting because he's a lot older than she is, but a man, so that's okay. Um, he's got that kind of avuncular grandpa thing going, which we all kind of like. But she was seen as shrill and nasty and a, a sort of pain in the ass, you know, um, naggy and all those horrible kind of tropes that are trotted out about women um, with gravitas, intelligence, uh, experience and age. I still occasionally on Twitter will get called, um, people call me old as an insult and I have to go back to them and say, look, you can insult me if you want to, you don't have to agree with me or like me, but just a heads up, old is not an insult and I'm sorry to tell you this, but it'll happen to you yeah. so fast <laughs> in your head will spin yeah. Yeah. Um, because ageism really is the dumbest of the di discriminations. All of them are stupid, but ageism is particularly stupid because you're actually discriminating against your future self mm -hmm. um, and, and people, there is this weird thing that young people have. I had it, so, you know, I remember it well. Well, you sort of think you'll never get old, but that is such a delusion. And I think we have this idea... There's something of a downer about older women, perhaps because women are still defined 
primarily in our society by their sexual attractiveness and their reproductive capability. And of course, there's a wonderful gift to the human female from nature, and that is menopause. And whilst <laughs> it can be difficult for some women going through it, let me tell you, once you're through it, it's Fabulous. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, that's really great. Um, people also call me dried up and I often oh. say to them, yes, and what a relief that is. Um, but, that you know, society then regards us as kind of living too long, past our use-by date. Mm. And all the tropes, the mother-in-law trope, the whole mm. attitude towards older women, ugly old hags, old bags, old battle axes, you know, the way we're portrayed is very poor. However, since some of my generation have become a force because they've got money and they're spending it and they're enjoying themselves, I am noticing um, a little bit more of a positive portrayal um, of older women in, in films and TV, which is really nice because we didn't used to see it when I was young. But yes, because I, want, I was going to ask you about that as well, because it does seem to me there has been a kind of revival of generationalism. But one of the forms in which that trope now takes is connected to climate change. There is this sort of sense that the boomer generation, you know, came of age in this long economic boom and now they've basically screwed the world and handing it over to a younger generation. How does that fit into your argument? Because well, that, oh, that's the form that, that <coughs> argument <coughs> takes a lot of the time now. Look, I, I wouldn't disagree with that um we were um we were part of that explosion of post-war capitalism um and the incredible um increasing consumerism and all that kind of thing the only thing i'll say is that every generation has good legacies and bad bad legacies and most of it's unintentional it's it's not like you can see Mm. uh what's going on while you're living through it you're just going along living your life as best you can i mean it is a, a um a situation of deepest regret to me that I will not pass on to my grandchildren a planet in as good a state mm. as my grandparents passed on to me. And I think that you are absolutely correct. But I don't think it's any use blaming boomers. I, you know, that's sort of silly. Blame is not really very useful. We all need to get together and do something about this. And I would say this about older women. They are incredibly active in this space. Um, they are... I mean, and there are many great older men as well. But I do notice, I went to a, um, a meeting of Get Up in uh, the seat of Warringah. No, I'm not standing <laughs> just before anyone asked me. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago and Get Up are uh, helping the independent candidates to unseat Tony Abbott. Of course, a climate, climate change is crap, as he, he famously said. Um, and what really interested me, they were hanging from the rafters, was that I would say at least... 65 to 70% of the people in that room were older women and almost all the Get Up volunteers were older women. So I think we need to accept that there are good and bad people in every generation, in every group, and that this um, glumping of one generation as this and another generation as that, frankly, is falling into a trick that the advertising industry has propagated to sell research to clients. People are people. And when people describe to me, you know, millennials or Generation X or whatever it is, I always think to myself, yeah, but that's just being young. And when they describe Mm. boomers, I think, yeah, that's just being old. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's nothing to do with they're like this, as if we all came out of the womb with a set of characteristics being born at a certain date. It's about as logical as astrology. (laughs) (laughs) The book is Accidental Feminist. It's out now via Melbourne University Publishing. We've been talking to its author, Jane Carey. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. You're in Chippewa. Three, triple, ah.
Jeff, you went to Tassie in your holidays. I did. So did I, but we were there at different times. We did. Um, we were, yes. Although I did see your poster. That's right. Just hmm. a, with a little face of me on there. But, and you let me know. That was very nice. Thank you. Um, I was just there for some gigs, but you were on a proper holiday. And can you tell us about one of the highlights you had on this holiday? Yes. I can't believe I, I haven't told you guys this because I thought of you both at the time. But um, we saw a ghost. You saw one? Yeah. Finally. Finally. Yes. You come over to my side. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I want to high five Geraldine, but I'm too far away. <laughs> there you go. I knew this. All I needed was for you to see a ghost. This was not the reaction I was expecting. <laughs> what were you expecting? What were you expecting? No, it was like do. telling you this spooky story and it was like... And your reaction was just, well, yes, you've come I over. Thought, because you've and, always looked at me so dubiously when I've told you that my farm was haunted and yeah. how... And now, How many times a ghost sat on my bed? I will continue to look at you dubiously. So Why? We were staying Hang on, this is not a real... It's going to be a thing where it doesn't... Well, what? Okay, oh. so we were staying in this town called Tulla. It's just like a mining town in western Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And um, lots of wilderness around there. We decided we were going to go on this big bushwalk up Mount Murchison. A spooky <laughs> bushwalk. Well, yeah. So it's like a, a five-hour... The, the website says like a five-hour return walk and it's quite steep. Um, it's not like super mountain climb, but, you know, it was sort of decent kind yeah. of... Um, if you started running, you wouldn't be able to stop. Yes, if you're going down. Yeah. Not if you're going up. And so it started, but it was raining the night before. And so mm-hmm. when we got there, like, the track was quite... This is already a horror story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The track was quite slippery. And it's like, it goes, you go off the road and then you go under these sort of temperate rainforest. You know in Tasmania there's all that sort of weird temperate rainforest? Yeah. Um, and weird so you, and spooky. <laughs> you can't see the sky or whatever and it's going almost straight up. So you go out of that and you come out and you're suddenly looking over all of the clouds that are all over the mountain. So it was um, kind of spooky. And when we were walking up there, like, because the track was quite slippery, Steph in particular, you know, she'd been a scout and she's very into preparation and everything. Be prepared. Being prepared. And she started saying, maybe we shouldn't go any further. This is going to be a bit dangerous. You know, we shouldn't go up this, you know, incredibly steep because it's quite remote as well and there's no one else around there. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting up there trying or to work is out. there. Trying to work out what to do. And then suddenly we hear these footsteps coming. Was come it and- someone going, Miranda? <laughs> 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 we, see, so we were sure that we were the only ones on the mountain, right? So these footsteps coming up behind us and this guy comes up onto this clearing. He's this older um, hiker and he has this it's like... This, okay. Is this the guy? <laughs> This is the ghost. <laughs> and so he's like just walking by himself like this older guy and he just has this really kind of amiable expression. Did you feel a chill down your spine? <laughs> yeah, sure. And the <laughs> I'm crying right now. <laughs> so, and we were surprised to see him, but... And then he started yes, just... it's a ghost. Yeah, well, that's... Oh, you stop interrupting. Let me tell you about the ghost. All right. And yeah. so... He starts, we, you know, we say hi to him or whatever and we start saying, oh, look, we were kind of worried because the track is, you know, getting wet and we're not sure whether we should go any further. And he just says, no, the track is fine. I've walked it many times. There's nothing to worry about here. And then he goes off on his way, right? He just... And <laughs> oh, my God, Jordan's actually crying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then exactly what it... Track goes to insane, <laughs> and then and then he goes off and in the distance, and we can't see him again, right? And then we keep on. Hang wa- on, does he fade into the distance? No, he or? just goes off oh. over the ridge because okay. it's a but mountain. What, at the time when you were talking to no, him, we, what was the vibe? 
the, the vibe was just he was just this incredibly calm presence. Calm right? and wise. Yeah, calm and wise. That's right. Okay. Like and just tell and reassuring us that it was okay. And and then we kept Did, on. Sorry, I had, I know I, it's interrupting, but there's many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Um, like he wasn't wearing a sheet or anything. <laughs> no, I know. No, I well, wasn't imagining wearing yes. a sheet. Was it yoldy clothes though? And what made? Yeah, did you know? Well, that hang on. What? Well, no, he was just an was old. Was he wearing yoldy no, clothes? Not, not like not like nineteenth century. No, he was just like an older man. Like he was like in his sixties or seventies. But not yoldy. Was he wearing like Katmandu? <laughs> Polar clothes. I don't know what brand clothes he was wearing. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> how did you? Sorry, just this is a this is a big thing. You think. <laughs> What did you know that it was a ghost when you were asking no, about? No, no, no. We just. Thought but what were was, you thinking? We were just. Well, I, to be honest, what I was thinking was this is really annoying because I thought we were on the mountain by ourselves and he's this other guy just ruining everything. And how far away was he? Well, like when you were right. talking to him. No, he came right up. He came. He overtook us on the did path. Did you touch him? Did he brush past <laughs> you? Yeah. No, I didn't. Did he go through Why you? I, I don't know. Yeah. Did well, he go no. through you? Yeah. All right, can I just okay, stop asking okay, these stupid Sorry. questions and let me tell her it's a very valid question. I didn't they touch are. him or ask him about what kind yeah. of brand his clothes were. I just. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just briefly talk to him like you would to any normal person you've been on a track. Okay, great. Yep. And then he said, yeah, the track is fine. I've done it many times before. And then he goes off into the distance. We don't see him again. Mm-hmm. We keep on going and it gets steeper and steeper and steeper and eventually it gets to a bit... You have to actually climb up holding onto a rope. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, did a hand come across the <laughs> And Steph, by this stage, oh, is God. freaking out of it and saying, no, we need to go back. This is not safe. And I kept on saying, look, that old guy's done it. He said it was safe. He's up above us. Let's just keep on going. We'll get to the summit. He'll be there and um, he can take photos of us, right? Because there's only one path. Right. Got you. So we keep on going. It gets steeper and steeper and steeper. Um, Steph actually gets a bit upset, but we continue. We push up. We climb all the way to the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. There's no one there. Okay, so you just met someone and then they... And then they weren't at the top of the mountain. Yeah, and yes, so that's a but ghost. But there was no path. There's no way he could have got down past us. Oh. I'm not convinced that it's a ghost anymore. I thought his ghostly hand was going to pop over the yeah. edge. Yeah. And- Say, well, let me help I you feel, out. I feel like you built this yeah. story up too much when you kept on insisting that I touch him and talk to him about his clothes. All I'm saying well, is that no, there you was no. It up there when was, you said it was a ghost, but it really, it totally was a ghost. How do you how do you know? What else indicated he was a ghost? Because there was no way he could have got down. For a past. man that has mocked my ghost stories <laughs> for three years, and now you just you met someone who, and then you didn't see. That's does Steph think it's a ghost? Sure. Mm. How do you, what do you mean there's no other way down the mountain? Because there was only there's only one path up to this mountain. So there's no nowhere else he could have gone. How do you know he just wasn't didn't climb up a tree? What if because there were no a, trees on the mountain. What about if he was just a bit of a weirdo mm. and he got in, he's maybe, in the bush watching you? Yeah, maybe he just dug to sit a there. Hole. Well, I guess got all these the other scenarios are possible. I'm just Did put, you get his name? No. <laughs> No, I didn't get his name. How would I have got his name? Oh, hello, sir. Mm. <laughs> I'll just get my notepad and write down. What's him. your name? I don't know. <laughs> nice to meet you. Well, I actually, look, I think there's a 70% chance it was a ghost. 70%? Yeah. Oh, I'm going 
0.7%. Oh. I reckon it was just a guy who just went and he ha- didn't happen to find him again. Like he's, he's maybe he's still no, up there. No, it was only one path. It was only one way he could have got up there. I just think he was hiding in the bush somewhere. Do maybe what was he sat he down. hiding in the bush for? I mean, well, that's I can even think of many reasons like, he might be hiding in the bush. bush. Maybe, maybe um, if it had a fall down in some long grass and you didn't see him. I would like some more details about what he was wearing because I think that would give you an indication of whether he died in the seventies or the oldie times mm. or you know five years well, ago. Well, no, he seemed to be just wearing normal clothes. That like an elderly hiker would be wearing. He wasn't like I don't know dressed up as a. Did he have a pack or anything? Or a like stick? a backpack? Or a stick? Oh, or yeah. a stick? Wish I never told this story. <laughs> he just ruined it. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're listening to breakfasts um, on. During my holiday, you know how I was. I did a lot of driving through New South Wales and a bit of Queensland. Yes, driving up and down. Yeah, uh, and twice we went to Coonabarabran. Oh, I love Coonabarabran. Have you been there? Yeah. When? Don't know. When I was a kid. Oh no, yeah. Never heard of it. Never. It's in the. Can't m- you remember the Coonads? Oh, no. Coonads, yes, I can. Say all the coon- that all the. Suburbs in Australia, uh, towns oh. Australia with Coon- Coonabarabran. Anyway, no. um, is also famous for um, its observatory, so it's a good place to look at the stars. Oh, so because it's in like the middle of New South Wales, no light pollution, exactly. And they've got big observe like big telescopes there, oh. and some people, like the dish, yeah, or the dish works on radio. No, I don't want to get technical, but yeah. Anyway, oh. this one you can actually look through a lens and see the stars. Cool. And did you do that? Absolutely. Right. So we booked in. Uh, first, the first time we went through there, we just stayed there. It was Christmas, so we just booked in a motel, and then off we went. But then we went. Let's go back when we're coming back home again. We go, went through to Coonabarabran. We stayed, and then you book it at nine o'clock at night. You go. Um, you can book in to do this. You know, go and look at the stars. And I was like, yeah, we're absolutely doing that. So at nine o'clock at night, you'd have to, and it's kind of there's no address for it as well. Like it's so it's this kind of freaky little. He said. Well, there is an address, but it doesn't come up on Google Maps. So you get old school list of instructions of, oh. you know, drive down this road, take the second right. Oh, if you get love to, those instructions. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> except when I'm having to follow yeah. them. Like if, if you get to this spot, then you've, you've gone, gone too, too far. far. Oh. Yeah. So it's a, it's a dirt road and you'll see us, you know, on the left. Gave me a shiver. Yeah, I know, right? So it is, you know, so... It, it, it is kind of eerie because it's, you know, it's dark and you get there and it's just a group of strangers and because there is no light around, you can't really see the people that you're with and who you talk Do you know what I mean? Like yes. it's that kind of, I mean, you're just surrounded by strangers and you're talking and you're just like, who who are you really? Why? Anyway, so we sit there um, and they have like a few telescopes set up. Like you can go into the, you know, those big white things where they, it moves around. You know, what, uh, think of an observatory. Oh, yes. Th- yeah. So you can go into one of the... Planetarium. Yeah. Or kind of, no. you know, oh, with the no. big... Like the domes. And oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. the dome with the te- telescope sticking out the top. Oh, yes. yeah? Ooh, yeah, got it. Like a Dalek. <laughs> I don't know exactly what you mean. Yep. <laughs> Forget <laughs> none of us watch. <laughs> you don't watch Doctor Who? <laughs> it's like that toilet plunger thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get to go on one of them and have a, you know, they set it up and they, you know, you can look at the stars and stuff and then they do a bit of a, a talk about where all the stars are. Um, and it was so cool. Like, it was amazing to watch. What did you see? Lots of stars. <laughs> but also, this is a... Um, Oh man, it was so. So we were like sitting, and they just have the, this concrete kind of platform with a few chairs set up, and they have a big uh, like uh, projector with you know pictures of stars on there, so with constellations and stuff. So here's the constellations what we're going to look for and stuff. And then off in the distance, we could see um, like it was on the road. We'd see like um, it was like a car was coming along the road, and we're oh. like, oh, someone's you was know. That a ghost? No, no, no. So just something, just it was cars car. com, coming along the road. Got the wrong Just and and it was, you know, we're just like, oh, someone's, you know, running a bit late. But then it was coming closer, and then all of a sudden, that light. We realised it wasn't a car because we a we couldn't hear anything. We just saw this light, oh, no. and then the light shot straight up into the air. And we all was it a UFO? Like a min-min light. Yeah. Well, no, we, we kind of said to the guy, what was that? And he's like, to be honest, I don't know, but we do get a report, you know, that I have seen a few things that I cannot explain. Oh. And he was like, and I, th- that's, that is one case right there. And all it was was a light that just went... Like normal, like you thought it was a car and then all of a sudden it shot, shot straight, up straight up in the air. Did anyone film it? No, because we were just, you know, so it was happening so were, quick were, anyway. Were people freaked out by it? Uh, yes, like, yeah, to a certain extent we were just like, like, you know, it's kind of that, that shocking kind of what was that? And because we all experienced it, we are all kind of, well, that obviously... That happened, didn't it? We just saw, we all just saw that, didn't we? And we all saw that, and everyone's like, "Yeah." We're just like, I don't know. And we just kind of went, "Wow." You I know? feel like nothing you saw in the sky after that point would be able to compete with that. <laughs> I know. You know, I don't know. Who at the stars? We just saw a light shoot up <laughs> That's in the air. Right. Turn the telescope yeah. back on the road. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it was that you know we're kind of yeah we still did look at the stars, but then it just makes it when you're looking at it, it you have a a completely different perspective of what, of what you're looking at. Yeah. Do you think it could have been a ghost? No, it, it, cause, no, I definitely think it was some sort of UFO. Alien. Yeah. Huh. How but big was it? Uh, it's hard to say. Like probably, you know, about the size of a car, I guess. Oh, was it big enough? Right. It... Yeah, but like it was still, like it, it was just a light. Um, sounds like a Min Min light. Ah. Min Min like look like they look like cars, and then they they bop off into the air. You were lucky that you weren't abducted. If it was a UFO or a Min Min light, they both abduct people. Mm, maybe a narrow escape. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah look at the mystery that. abounds. Yeah, but even like the guy that was you know running the whole thing, it was like then we wanted to talk to him more about yeah these like things other, he sees, all other lights. things that he's seen. Yeah, Did, no. But he's seen like he said it's not just lights that he's seen. It's just a couple of he's seen. Um, not just the typical UFO, the disc yeah. kind of thing, but like often a couple of times he's seen like a, a cigar shaped. You oh. read about those in the paper. Yeah. Often cigar shaped. Mm. Now, was he, like when he was telling you about this, was he sort of. He was. I, you could tell. up that, about it or? No, no, no. You could tell that beforehand he. 
unless that happened, it, he never would have mentioned it. General, like he yeah, was right. very much a scientific person and he was all about, you know. What you can see in the sky for real. Yes, just science. That we know about. But then when that happened, it was like, oh, it was kind of this reluctant kind of, okay, oh. yeah, there are there are things out there, there that are. I cannot explain. <gasps> the truth is out there. Mm. Mm. Although. <laughs> I was okay. waiting for that. I've just made that all that up because of your stupid ghost story on Monday. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the breakfasters from Three Triple R.